please note, we are not giving expert medical advice. Our content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. If you do need to talk to someone, please look in the show notes where you'll find helpline phone numbers. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Series 2, Episode 3 of We Are All A Bit Mental. It's a chat show where we aim to question and challenge the rather wonderfully complex and often slippery subject of mental health. I'm Neil Harrington, and today, as always, I'm here with Lynn Ferguson and Chesney Hawke. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello there. So, this week's episode <laughs> is the second of our Edinburgh Fringe Run. In conjunction with Gilded Balloon. The Gilded Balloon. Uh, the Gilded Balloon. And this week our show topic is identity. And joining us in a bit for a natter will be movie star Alfred Molina. Ooh. Ooh. I love Alfred Molina. Do you know, I met Alfred Molina at the Gilded Balloon. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, that's how we became friends. So, like, in 2008, just before I moved here... Because I'm an idiot, I was doing two solo shows at the Gilded Balloon, one after the other. And after <laughs> right. the show after me had Jill Gascoigne in it, and Jill Gascoigne <laughs> was um, Fred's late wife. Yeah. And uh, we met. they came to see my first show, not the second one because they were in the third. And um, we became fast friends. And so when I moved over here in 2000, and at the end of 2008, I, I properly became friends with him. Yeah. And in fact... Jill Gascoigne had a birthday. This is quite an interesting story. Well, I think it's interesting. <laughs> and frankly, I am the big focus of me today. You are. I've not had any sleep because of a dog, right? Just let me just tell you more stories about me, 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 if me. It's me, not the me, chickens me. keeping you up, it's no, the dog. What's it's going the on? It's the dog, your right? Household. I know, right? Anyway, so Jill, another story about me. Jill Gascoigne <laughs> and I shared a birthday. Oh, is that right? Ah. Yeah. What is your birthday so that all our listeners can send you presents on oh, the day? Oh, it's the 11th of April, right? Perfect. Put that in your calendars. Yeah, put it in your calendars. Yeah, mark it, don't you dare forget but it. But Fred, <laughs> I think he was away doing um, Roth, the Rothko play or something like that uh, on Jill's 75th birthday. In fact, he was up for a Tony or something. He was up for an award anyway because that was part of the party. But he couldn't be at the 75th birthday party, which so at her, so we had a party together in my house and we filmed Fred beforehand, uh, chatting to, you know, like pretending to chat to people and doing a speech. And he just, the whole sort of hologram or the film of him played all the way through the party. So people would be like, <laughs> oh, well, well, how are you doing, Fred? And he'd be like, all right, you're right. Oh, yeah, like that. Yeah, <laughs> that was totally cool. So it's full circle that we've got Fred here today for, for our uh, Gilded Balloon special. It's almost like we know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Not quite, but almost. It's almost like we But that is one of the things about the Gilded Balloon, which is that people make really good friends there. You meet random mm. people, like randomly wonderful people, and, uh, and then become like kind of good friends with them. So it's one of the things I love about the Gilded Balloon. Yeah, wonderful. Well, hopefully we can all be there live next yeah, year. Absolutely. Woo-hoo. So proper movie star Fred <laughs> Molina will be joining us shortly. So then, team, today's topic of identity. Yes. How do we define ourselves? How do others define us? What happens when we lose our identities and the impact that has on others around us? There's just a few starters there to tickle our hippocampuses or our hippocampi. <laughs> Can't oh, believe we there. talked to somebody who does brains last week. Who are we? Fucking <laughs> no, three losers talking to the brainiest women in the world. We're like, oh yeah, we're uh, We won't stop telling people about it, will we? <laughs> we interviewed 
brainy people. <laughs> Do you know what I have to tell you about identity? And I don't know if this is how you are, guys, but my identity or my self-identity can change within five minutes. Of course. Like, literally, I can go from that. being, like, a total success to being a mm. fat bird with a bad accent in, like, <laughs> two seconds, right? Yeah. Greatest yeah. failure, greatest success, greatest failure again. I usually end with greatest failure because I feel like, you know... You've got to wallow in it. You've got to wallow yeah, in it. Yeah, well, you know, you need to help it. Yeah, you've got to get that out of it. <laughs> but do yeah. you do that? What, what ident- do you have that thing of how you identify? I do. My my. It's funny because I've got this... I've got the fame thing as well. I've got that kind of, you know, identity mm. of what people think of me uh, yeah. and then actual me. <laughs> So that's that's Both hard to balance. Both of whom are adorable. Oh, Both God of whom. It's all in the lighting, <laughs> Lynn. It's all in the lighting. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a great face for radio. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. What about you, Neil? What Actually, you? I tell you what, I can chip in about identity, which I I do feel a bit confusing. Is um, when I wanted to do stuff with the with the the production with my music production a few years ago, I came up with a moniker, and so. Um, the, 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 I, I DJ under that moniker and I release music under that moniker. And um, I guess, Lynn, you know this, I do kind of battle with self-confidence issues. Yeah. And it is a bit weird when you, when you don't have a huge amount of self-confidence. It is a bit weird having, in theory, another identity. Mm. And then you start thinking about how, well, some people actually only know me as Dante. Mm. And it really, when you haven't got a lot of self-confidence, it really fucks with your mm. head. That I have noticed. It's funny. My, Very bizarre. I can appreciate that. Although I, you know, my stage name is not any different to my actual name. But I, you know, I have a couple of friends that refer to that identity as him. <laughs> you know, yeah. so they'll talk to me and so they'll they'll actually say that, that pop star guy, you know, uh, it's funny, huh? Like it's somebody else, like yes. it's a cartoon character or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you re- and then you're trying to think, well, who am I supposed to be? Yeah. Who am I? Who am I? And then it got really weird for me when we started doing this podcast because for the past few years I've been doing the music radio shows. Hello, I'm Dante Payne. You know when I'm DJing, and then all of a sudden I'm being Neil Harrington. Oh, for fuck's <laughs> <laughs> I can't cope. Identity is very confusing oh, for me at is. the moment. I have to say. Just ask yourself, what do you think? What do you think, Dante? What do you think? Neil? What do you think with all the voices in your head? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine, and so am I. Anyway, enough about that because the green light has come on, Ooh. which means that Ooh, Fred... It's Fred Molina. He's about to tickle our hippocampus. Look, <laughs> <laughs> stop hippocampi. pretending you know how to hang out with brain surgeons. People, if you've just joined us, we talked to like somebody who really knows loads about brains last week and, we're, and Neil is trying to pretend that he knows about brains, but actually we are just as uh, dumb as we were before. Well, maybe we're a little bit... Yeah. Smart, I know what a hippocampus is. It's a seahorse. All right, now you're showing off. Um, so we will see you on... On the other side of the break with Alfred Bring in Molina. A-list Hollywood star. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you guys may get on. Just saying. Am I going to 
cut all these out and beat them all or we're just going to mark the episode explicit and deal with it? And... <laughs> I'm sorry, have I, have I lowered the tone? No, oh, no you you've yeah, raised it perfectly, quite remarkably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should have heard quite that. Quite a lot. <laughs> right. No, because I know you and I think that uh, the stories that you have are brilliant and I think that you're brilliant for us because what you do is you have the capacity to tell really funny stories that are also really serious at the same time which is kind of where we're at. And also, the, the, the reason that we talked about you, I don't know if Neil told you, is, was about identity. Because what I, I knew you guys would go on, because the thing, uh, the thing that I think about you, Fred, is... Like, well, I've we've never... all slept with each other, so... Yeah, that's <laughs> but, like, you, um, you play so many people and you snap into them, like, so quickly. But actually... In person, like when people meet you, you're always exactly the same guy, right? There's never like, oh, Fred, the cape wearer, or Fred, like I'm successful at the moment, or Fred, I'm not so sick. Like you're literally, hiya, I'm Fred, how are you? I'm going to say the C word any minute, right? Um, <laughs> and yeah, but I just, I think that's really unusual. I think that's a really unusual thing, particularly over here. It's certainly a very unusual compliment. Oh, it's <laughs> yeah. it's yeah, one it's of just, the things I love about you. It's, it's like complimenting right. someone for being normal. But I think that's really important. You're right, you're right. But I, th I think it's uh, it's interesting, this, because actors, actors very often get, not accused, but get kind of pointed out for, you know, either bringing their work home or not being as committed to the work or phoning it in. And most actors, unless you know them personally, most actors get defined by the work they do. You know, you kind of, uh, you get an image of Brad Pitt. You've got an image of uh, Anthony Hopkins. You've got an image of Meryl Streep or Viola Davis. You know, you, 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 you've seen them in movies. You've been impressed. You've been touched by their performances. And so whenever they come up in conversation, that's the prism through which you see them. But then when you've got the chance to meet people and you kind of meet them as themselves, as it were, the, the interesting thing is that we are all rather, I mean, when I say normal, I don't mean normal, like normal as, as opposed to abnormal. I mean, ordinary. Yeah. That, you know, most, most, most people are really quite ordinary and that, and that's not, a, that's not putting them down. That, that, that's, that's just that we're, you know, what what we are good at as human beings, it seems to me, is that we rise to various occasions. I don't know about you, you, Fred, but I get that a lot because I have a little bit of fame myself in uh, England. And uh, when people meet me, sometimes I get the reaction, like, actually, you're actually quite a nice guy. Yeah, like they're surprised. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> thanks. I thought you were going to be a c <laughs> <laughs> You know, though, I think people get insecure, right? They get insecure in their work. And so therefore, like, uh, they, they, they allow themselves to be reflect. I mean, I guess you, you have to be kind of uh, wary because, because you are being judged all the time, right? But the, what I think so interesting about you in terms of identity is you're Fred first and then all the other things are things that you build, right? Like sort of, I think like with you with acting is sort of like someone who does like sculpting or something like that. They don't wander about with a big sculpture of David all the time going, look, this is me, this is me. They're like, <laughs> well, I've left David back in the workshop, right? He's in yeah, the workshop yeah. and here I am, my name's Mike. How are you? Right? 
That's sort of what I mean about I've, you. Which... I've got this lovely picture of Michelangelo <laughs> wandering around Florence with this great big piece of marble. <laughs> and everyone's going, hello, Mike. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> hello, Mike. Oh, I'm going to do a nude sculpture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I left the dick at home. <laughs> and I'm thinking of losing the arms. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> And someone goes, ah, that's been done before, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what, Fred? I think on on that subject of identity that we're we're talking about on today's show. So, obviously, as an actor, you have to find so many different characters and personalities. As you get older, does that not take its toll on your brain? As far as you know, who you really are. I mean, you must have a real sort of skill set in staying sane, don't you really? No, well, I, th I think that's, I think a lot of people might think that, but, and and certainly in my humble opinion, and this is just my opinion, because I'm not an expert, um, is that a lot of, a lot of actors will play into that. You know, we'll kind of use that little, as a kind of protection, like a shield. You know, you, you mm. if you're known for a certain kind of role, you may well find yourself using that as you get older in order to kind of keep certain people at bay or to kind of keep your privacy intact and so on and so forth. But what I've always thought is that my job isn't really about really kind of putting myself through the reality of what the character's going through. I don't have to be a murderer to play a murderer. Yeah. You know, I don't, I, I don't have to... Uh, beat up anybody to play someone who's violent uh it, it what you do is it's not about being real or getting into it so so totally that it becomes your re what we're doing is we're trying to be as authentic as we can you know my job is to create an authentic enough environment for the audience to kind of go okay i'll go with it i'll mm. i'll suspend my disbelief you know no one, no one is thinking that, you know, nobody in their right mind. I mean, people, people might be enthralled or entertained or completely hooked by a show or by a performance, but they know it's not real. They know they're watching a movie or a play or whatever it is. Except for those and people so that, that, that like will call out, you know, soap stars. Oh, you, you, uh, you know, were sleeping around on, on Angie. But yeah, <laughs> but you're right, Jesse, but that's, but that's to do, that's all to do with familiarity because the difference yeah. between a film actor and a, and a TV star is that when you're, if you're known for movies or theater, you're the host. People are coming to you to see your work. When you're a TV star, you're the guest in someone's home. Right. And I think that gives the audience a sense of entitlement and familiarity. So, you know, cause uh, you know, again, Jill, my late wife was a big star in England back in the eighties. And she got that all the time, all the time. People calling out in the street, calling her by her character's name, or making jokes about you know. It's like we, I remember if I had a if I had a pound for every time we walked into a restaurant and a waiter said to her, "Oh, hello, Jill. Are you here to arrest me?" You know, or, or, you know, for now, for now. I'll tell you what, love, you better arrest the chef because he's committing some crimes tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean, and you had to act like you've never heard it before. If I had a pound for every time that happened, I would be independently wealthy. I mean, it was like kind of unbelievable. But she, she dealt with it in a very, very grown up, very um, 
matter of fact way. And in, in fact, it was it was Jill who said to me when I said, Does, and when we first got together, I wasn't well known at that time in any way, uh, nowhere near the level that she was. It was like oh, Jill Gascoigne, and who's the tall geezer with her? And uh, and it was it was her. Who, it was actually Jill who said. It's because I'm a guest in their house. They see me in their front room every week. Yeah. They think they know me. It's the familiarity, you know? isn't it? It's that whole yeah, the familiar yeah. And and I, so I think it's it's different for you know it, it, it it's identity. I think changes and keeps on morphing depending on what what environment you're in. She was very similar in that way. I think in that like you know I grew up. Well, not good. I would love to say I was like 24, but I watched Jill in Cat's Eyes. <clears throat> I was like, wow, you know, you see her, she's like this detective thing, she can do everything. And then I met her and she's like, oh, hello, love, right? Like, totally. <laughs> just yeah. like, you want to come yeah. out for your tea? Like, just yeah. like a really genuinely sweet, straight up person who, when acting, would just go, all right, I'm acting now. Like, yeah. here's my statue of David. <laughs> you know, he does. He's a statue of David. Oh no, no, here I'm Jill again, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That was really harsh, and and you can tell me to shut up now, right? Because we're mates. But I'm going to ask you anyway about because Jill had a horrible illness that stole her yeah. and stole her identity. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, that one of the I mean Alzheimer's is just like the nastiest fucking thing in the world, but um. I don't even know where I was going with that because I nearly did one of those questions. Well, I tell you what's—I tell you what's just occurred to me listening what? to you is how crucial illness, any kind of dementia, uh, you know, that 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 sort of strikes people. It's the very first thing to go is your identity. Mm. You know, the person you are, or the person you think you are, the person that mm. people imagine you to be—that that all disappears. Um, and how do you know? And and conversation goes. Um, the the the, the uh, it's interesting how you hear all these stories about people who have suffered from dementia in various forms and how it's changed them. Sometimes for the worse, sometimes for the better. I remember when uh, when Jill was in the kind of the height of the throes of her illness before we finally had to kind of find a facility for her because it, you know, it just got too difficult to keep her at home. I was going to support groups and, you know, sort of talking to people, getting information, you know, support and so on, you know, other and hearing other people's stories. And there was one story that really affected me very strongly and it made me think, well, what I'm dealing with is, you know, nowhere near as severe as this. A young man... In his 30s, he was at the support group and he was looking after his stepfather. Now, he had never, ever, ever, all his life, his stepfather came into his life when he was about 10 years old, uh, treated his mother very well, wasn't, um, you know, wasn't an abusive man or anything like that, didn't abuse him or anything, but was just very, very distant, didn't engage with him at all as a stepdad, just kind of stayed very, very kind of separate. When his mother died, he was the only one that was there to look after his stepdad, who he had not much of a re no relationship with. But the illness turned his stepfather into the most loving, attentive, caring man 
so that every time Peter came home from work and sort of took over from the nurse that was with his stepdad during the day or the carer, his stepdad would be going, Peter, oh, Peter, I haven't, and he'd hug him and kiss him, you know, I'm so glad you're here, you know, it's like, like, he, like it was a huge reunion every day. And I said, so I, I and I asked him what what was that like, and he said, "Well, I had no idea who he was anymore. Mm. The man who, for twenty five years or whatever, was this suddenly had become someone else." And he said, "Part of him was full of joy for it because he was getting all the attention, he was getting <laughs> all the affection that he wanted. He'd been wanting since he was a kid, but at the same time, he was really angry, really angry because you know where were you when I really needed you? Yeah, you know, you know what I mean, and." Something like that happened when Jewel got really bad. There was a mix of, you know, I was sad and we were all sad. We were all heartbroken that we were losing her this way and so slowly and incrementally, and it was horrible. And at the same time, I was furious with her. Yeah. Mm. And it was like, and I, every time I kind of got a little like this, I, I, I would, I'd have to stop and say, for fuck's sake, Fred. You know, it's not, this isn't her fault, you know. I had to kind of keep reminding myself, you know, that when the same question would come up every every 10 seconds, you know, the same thing, she'd ask me the same thing or, or you know, and it was just, and it's, a t you know, anyone, you know, I'm not, I won't bore you with all the stories. It, 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 no, no, but anyone who's had this experience will tell you the same thing. It, it's, it, you're watching, it's like watching a beautiful thing just, fall apart bit by bit like a little bit of paint like a beautiful painting and just imagine a little flake of paint just peeling off every day so the painting's still there but you know it's not what it was yeah and and then and of course in those you know when you're when you're in the midst of dealing with someone else's you know sort of health and the way they're disappearing you start thinking about your own you know and and, and mm, ever since then I'm constantly every time <laughs> Yeah, this morning, I think I'll give you an example. <laughs> this morning, I was looking for um, uh, a book that I've got to do something about later on today and tomorrow. Can't, couldn't find it. And I had it last night. I, I literally took it off the shelf and put it down because I needed. I need this book tomorrow. Couldn't find it this morning. I think maybe one reason why I was so kind of hyper when we hooked up today was because I've spent the last two hours <laughs> looking for this fucking book. <laughs> and, it, and it was like driving me nuts. And, and and all the time I'm thinking, well, that's it. I've got I've got I've got Alzheimer's. That's it. I'm I, I'm fucking I'm losing it. I'm I'm losing my well, mind. You would do though, right? So it's like I think you know this all ties into it in a way to this notion of identity that that you start you don't just start losing. Or you don't you don't start just questioning who you are or what you are, but the the, the why of it all. You know? There's a thing in acting, right, or in writing certainly about a character is what they say, what they do, and what other people see and do around them, right? Yeah. And that actually, if the closest person to you um, starts to say and do things that are totally different from what, like, if the game changes, so then it's difficult. To hold on to your own identity. Yeah, there was there was a, there was an extraordinary moment when that's what this is. Well, one of the moments when I realised that something was seriously up. It was a Christmas in England. We went back to have Christmas with uh, my daughter and her husband and, and our grandkids, who you know were, were that then very young. 
And we were at my ex's house, my daughter's mother. We were at my ex's house, her husband, their kids. You know, we've all we've always been a good, we've always been close and friendly. Big, big Christmas do, about oh, 10, 12 people around the table. And my ex, uh, Rachel's mum, loves party games. She, she's a big fan of, you know, so she's always organising. So she organised, you know, what's the name of that game when, when you show everyone an object and then you hide it and then everyone has to go and look for it? Is it Hunt the Thimble or something? Right. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. she comes in, she comes in with a fluffy dice. You know, remember those fluffy yeah, dice? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh. yeah. So she comes in, she, she's found this old fluffy dice and she goes, this is it, everyone. And she's showing it. And we're all kind of, and she passes it around. We're all looking at it. We're all kind of, oh my, I remember this. You know, my dad had one of these, you know, <laughs> yeah. bloody hell, I haven't seen these, blah, blah, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. She goes off and hides it. And I turn around to Jill and I said, isn't that weird? I haven't seen one of those for years. And she went, what is it? Wow. And I went, you know, the, the, the dice. And she went, never seen one before. Oh, man. And it wasn't a joke. She wasn't kind of trying yeah. to be funny. Or, you know. And then I, and I remember it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, I, wow. I, I, felt this, I felt this kind of everything kind of go out. I felt my breath go out of me. Mm. Yeah. You know, I feel this 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 isn't right. This isn't and then other things started happening and I right. Right. what we wanted to do when we talked about mental health was to be able to talk about serious subjects in a way that wasn't like like one of the things that makes it so difficult when you're dealing with someone who's got like Alzheimer's or cancer or a terrible you know, life threatening or, you know, life ending illness. It's not just the loneliness of losing the person, but the loneliness of losing being able to talk to anyone around you about it or like who you can talk to about it because there are, there are things like, like you said about losing the book, there are some things in life that are so frightening <laughs> and stay with you forever. It's like your skin becomes mirrored. So when someone says something like, you know, um, my wife has Alzheimer's, then the, the person that you're talking to is like, oh man, I hope my wife doesn't have Alzheimer's or I hope I've not got Alzheimer's. It immediately goes back into it's reflection. It's like something you catch off someone else. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, yeah. Yeah. like a germ. The point of being able to talk like you're talking is that the people who are listening have the ability to hear something that they may not be allowed to hear from anyone yeah. else. And that's yeah. kind of what well, I Well, I found myself getting very defensive about it. Um, not, not because I didn't want people to know, um, but I didn't want people to kind of get the wrong idea, you know. And I, in fact, uh, if I may be personal for a moment, Lynn, it was you who actually kind of pointed this out to me. Because um, I remember we were having, I was, I think I was around at yours. And, was it uh, quiche? Was it quiche? It was, were we having quiche? Uh, we were having quiche or soup or maybe both. Yeah. A mutual friend of ours was, was caring for Jill at the time. Um, and uh, I remember you know, you saying something like, how's it going? How are you? You know, how are things? And I said, oh, you know, good days, bad days, like that. And you said, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. You, you, can't, you can't carry this on your own. What's going on? And I think, you know, you, you, you kind of admonished me slightly and, and I then started telling you what was going on. And I think I remember, I, I think I ended up in a you know, flood of tears I just kind of opened up about it, and and I and I I tried to remember that that 
that's the that's the that's the problem we've got with mental health. That's the problem we have totally. now with people is that people say, you know, how's it going? How are you? And we kind of go, oh, you know, okay, it's you know, I'm just, I just feel a little blue. Mustn't or, grumble. You know, mustn't. Yeah, yeah, and and and. and <laughs> And the, us Brits, we're so fucking good at that. Yeah, terrible. So, and I'm surprised that I'm like that because my parents, who weren't English, my father was Spanish, my mother was Italian, they had no trouble talking about how they were feeling. <laughs> they, they let out their emotions ad nauseam. I mean, it was like kind of, you know, enough with the fucking opera, you know. My, when my when my mother was in a mood, it was like it was like the third act of Aida. That whole thing about like the emotional release of yes. say Italians and Spanish is a cultural thing because they speak totally. They you know like so uh, the Brits we are as you say we're like. It's very hard lip. to even Americans will go ah let's talk about it man let's you know open up and, <laughs> yeah whereas we'd go don't be a <laughs> buy me a beer for fuck's sake that's right I can remember my, my mum getting pissed off with uh, a neighbour we lived in a we lived in a, a flat in a row in a terrace row in, in, in the shitty end of Notting Hill you know before Julia Roberts moved in <laughs> and there were a lot of immigrant families you know like Irish West Indian Spanish Portuguese you know it was a very mixed kind of uh, community and it was lovely and I went to a I went to a Catholic school that was uh, all the teachers were were nuns, uh, Franciscan nuns. Um, Sister Mary Kevin. Mary uh, Kevin, sister... that's a guy. It was Mary Kevin yeah. trans? No, Sister Mary. <laughs> yes, no, her name exactly. was Sister Mary Kevin. Yeah, uh, but was she trans? Was she? Did she <laughs> used to she... be Kevin? Was she? She wasn't having none of it. No. <laughs> she was Kevin Mary, keeping her options open. <laughs> sister Mary Austin, Sister Mary De Patsy, and they were all Irish, all Irish. And uh, they were they were you know good teachers, but I remember at home it was all kind of drama. And then I think I must have carried that to school with me, because at school it was all shut shut up, calm down, keep it to yourself, you know. So there was this weird sort of thing where I wasn't quite sure you know how to behave. And I remember one time, I my mother was talking to me about something. I wasn't in trouble. But she was talking to me like this. <laughs> Not because I was in, but because it was very important. And at one point I said, Mum, don't shout or stop shouting, something like that. And she, then she really got angry. Oh, she, she oh. Like, you were in trouble. Don't tell me to shut up. I'm talking to you. Don't tell me to shut up. She, she lost it. I mean, she lost it. Wow. But the thing is, the neighbours couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> So she was getting complaints, you know, people, you know, banging on the wall and stuff like that, you know. And at one time, she, uh, I remember one time she actually stuck her head out of the window onto the window. It was a back window and it overlooked like a little flat terrace that belonged to the lady downstairs. And she was out there kind of going, keep the noise down. <laughs> and my mother opens the window and goes, you shut up. I'm talking to my son. <laughs> I wish I still had a bit of that. I wish I still had a bit of that. You do. You do. I've seen you at parties. You do. Hey, um, I want to ask another random question. Random questions from Ferguson Corner. I got arrested on Ferguson Corner once. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get for dancing there. Right? Um, growing up in London, um, in the... 
60s? 50s, yeah, you can 60s. say it. in the 50s. I was born in 1953. Right, okay. But with a, oh, a Spanish father... Everyone's doing the math. I can see their faces. They're all doing the math. So he's, <laughs> how was that like? Oh, fucking hell. You know, they'll, <laughs> they'll still be doing it in an hour's time. Math is not anybody's big strong point. <laughs> No, I'm thinking about... You're far too dyslexic in this game. <laughs> Chesney's like, I'll play my guitar, you guys count, right? <laughs> um, I'm wondering what it was like, because like times are changing now, definitely, and, and I'm pleased about it, but the thing with identity, growing up with a Spanish father and an Italian mother in England in the 50s, I'm just wondering where that was at. Right, it's like, like a film was to it, me. Because I just picture the fifties. Wasn't everybody still wearing bowler hats and all that? Kind of, yeah, kind of. I mean, I, well, I, my, I learned English alongside my parents. My parents didn't speak English when they. My father got here in uh, right here. My father arrived in the UK in ninety. He was a refugee from the civil war in Spain. He arrived in England around about nineteen, beginning of nineteen thirty nine. And stayed for World War Two, uh, and uh, uh, I'm enjoying it so much. <laughs> yeah, but he was well hang he around was, for the next one. Yeah. <laughs> he got enlisted into a thing called the Pioneer Corps, which was basically made up of men of you know uh, draftable age, you know, and women. I think who were displaced and disenfranchised in various countries around Europe, you know, running away from Nazism or, or, or Mussolini or whatever, you know, whatever. And they all arrived in England, but they, they couldn't be used as first-line troops because they didn't have English. So they got trained to do other things. And my dad ended up in the Pioneer Corps working with a, a, a unit that basically was like repairing stuff. You know, so my father, who very proudly... Uh, very proudly would say, oh, yeah, I was on the beaches at D-Day. But what he didn't tell you was that he arrived like two or three days afterwards to clean up all the shit, you know. <laughs> and he was there, though. He was there. He was yeah. there. Uh, and then my mother emigrated from Italy in the late 40s, two or three years after the war, and they met in England. Uh, they were both working at the same hotel. My dad was a waiter and my mum was cleaning rooms. And that's what they did for a living. And, and uh, that's where they met. So they were, in an interesting way, neither of them had an education. They both left school by the time they were 15. But they both had, just by chance, this fantastic facility for languages. Mm. So they learned each other's language. They already had a smattering of French. And they learned English together. I mean, by the time I was growing up, they were both of them were fluent in four languages and they could read and write in all four languages. I mean, they, wow. they, they had that kind of, I always refer to it as the kind of immigrant energy, mm. which drives you to do things that people who are already living in that place or who, who, who have been born there kind of take for granted. Does that mean that you Whereas speak we, all those languages as well, Alfred? Well, I speak Spanish and Italian. I, I spoke at English, I, I, obviously. I, I didn't learn French because that was the language my parents used when they wanted to be private. <laughs> it's a language of love, so right? They, exactly. So they wouldn't translate. When they were speaking French, they wouldn't translate. You know, when, when they were speaking Spanish or Italian, if I didn't know the word, they'd translate it. And they, you know, they, they'd kind of make me practice. But French. So I remember things like, I remember phrases like mon petit chou. <laughs> um, things like that. Little, little, um, little tendernesses that they would mm, kind of nice. have between each other. Um, 
but they tried to be they tried to assimilate you know both my parents came from countries that did not have a stellar record as far as the brits were concerned at the time yeah um you know spain was a fascist country uh, uh it, mussolini had been on hitler's side for much of the war so there was a lot of you know they weren't really that they were fighting against a certain kind of you know nationalism and xenophobia so they were trying really hard to uh, assimilate to the point where my dad would actually start adopting he <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if i've ever told you i don't know if i've ever told you this story he he would use proverbs and and maxims to try and make himself sound more it was way, it was his way of learning the language as well but he would get them wrong and there was there was one day when somebody was asking him about something uh and he would say oh no 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 don't do that because you know what they say too many cooks making light work of the broth <laughs> <laughs> like something out of dad's army isn't it? <laughs> all my life i've been trying to deconstruct these kind of weird sort of homilies that he kind of gave me hey, another one was another one was he would he would drop these uh, these little proverbs, and then he would do this thing where he would like nod very sagely. So he'd say things like, "Well, you know what they say: two birds in the air is worth more than one in your face." <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Two birds in the air. <laughs> he was correct on that one. I think that's fair. Accurate. But so my dad would always and then he kind of you know my dad had a little arrogance about him you, you know he kind of uh, he, he had a certain sort of spanish pride you know so he would like give you the thing he'd nod and then he'd walk away like you know i'll leave you with that little nugget my friend <laughs> you know so he never saw people kind of going what? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talking about getting phrases wrong, years ago we used to have an American client and he came over to England and he'd, then st he'd heard about Cockney rhyming slang. <laughs> oh. oh, we proper took the piss. It, apples and pears, fridge. <laughs> <laughs> Pig's ear, cabinet. <laughs> oh, Neil, that's cruel. That's very... That's it's funny, yeah. but it's cruel. We had hours and hours out of that. Oh. Really, really and now we're doing a podcast about mental health. Exactly. <laughs> See how things come around. Taking the piss out of people. All in the name of research, <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, like your parents could adopt any, like all different languages. And they evidently were really good at understanding cultures and observing people oh, yeah. in order to fit in. Do you think that's yeah. maybe where you're acting? Because literally maybe. watching you act is uh, this is the you thought it was the weirdest compliment before this is a weirder one F watching you act fred is quite freaky it's freaky because you go right and action and then you're like okay and somebody else i'm like holy hell is that because like, you know him so well lynn do you think yeah and i forget though like so when i went to see him in in red i was like i was like oh i'm gonna see my pal he's doing this play everybody says he's magic i'm going and then i'm and then i'm like I've forgotten that it's Fred. Yeah, well, like, that's, that's, the, biggest, that's, that's the biggest compliment ever, isn't it? That's what every actor wants to hear. You know, I, I, but I think it's, I, I think there's a mystique about it all that, you know, and actors play into this a little bit. You know, I, I get, I, I've got to be honest, when, when, when actors start talking about their process, oh. <laughs> I want to find that book and I want to beat myself to death with it, you know, because... <laughs> 
I think it's like it's like asking an it's like asking your accountant. You know, how, how do you do sums? Mm. You know, you wouldn't ask. It just gets done. Uh, uh, you know, it's a process. Uh, but uh, you know, we, when actors start talking about and I and when it starts getting like you know, like it's like some really hard thing and some weird mystical thing that you have to wait for, like some, your muse, you know, you wait for your inspiration. I kind of go, no, 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 this is a job. This is a job that requires a, a reasonably, I would say, a, a unique set of uh, tools. Yeah. Not everyone has them, but that's all they are. They're tools. And what happens is very often actors start getting into thinking of those tools as some kind of philosophy you know what i mean you know what i'm saying like like you know yeah. you ha you have to be in a certain place you have to be in a certain way of thinking in order for this to happen and you know i always remember i i love it when actors talk about acting as if it's just a job a job that they love a job that they want to be good at a job that they really want to you know do the very best they can it's not about the quality of work it's not about your commitment or your devotion or your you know you, you, what you give to it but it is a job mm. and 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 the 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 um the idea is to kind of disappear a little bit or at least create enough of an authentic atmosphere that the audience are willing to kind of go okay you know like i said before okay i'll yeah, uh I'll go with you that. know i'll go along with this and that's mm. that's really all it's about and and but i think there's um there is an interesting thing about, and this is where I thought I was actually losing it once in, in terms of my own mental health was when, and, and this is going to sound a bit odd. So you might want to cut this out, Neil, if it gets too weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you see everybody going, yes. Yeah, uh, I was asleep the past five minutes you were talking, to be honest, but now, come on, Fred. <laughs> now I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First two minutes you thought, what is this? Now it's like, it's like bad sex, you know, it's, at least it's sex. When my mum passed away, she passed away rather suddenly. She was quite young and it was very unexpected. And um, she, 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 she'd moved back to Italy. She, she'd retired and she'd got, gone back to, you know, to Italy to, to live in the village where she, where she was raised. And she'd met a man and she was in a relationship and they were very happy. And I loved it. I, I thought he was a great guy. And, and they, you know, she moved into his apartment and everything was going well. And then sadly she passed away very, very suddenly. So we had the Italian style funeral, you know, the open casket and people would come and sort of pay their respects. And it was all very dramatic. I mean, people crying and screaming her best friend, this wonderful woman called Marisa, when she came in, she she literally pushed people out of the way, stood over my mother's coffin, my mother's body, crying, screaming, oh, Giovanna, Giovanna, you know, all this, you know. And then she grabbed my mother and was like hugging her and almost, almost picking her up out of the coffin. I mean, like, like oh. she raised her up like this and people are holding her back and she's screaming and crying. My brother, who was with me, who's not an actor, was falling apart. He couldn't understand what was going on. He he was holding on to me, kind of going, what is it? What is it? What's going on? He was in a terrible state. I wasn't crying because all the time I was watching all this, I was thinking, I've got to remember this because this is going to be really useful one day. <laughs> 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 I 
Stick it in the vault. In the vault, right there. I thought, I'm going to remember this feeling. I'm going to remember this moment because this is going to be really useful. And as soon as I had that thought, I was riddled with guilt. Totally. Yeah. Like, you asshole. What kind, of, what kind of person are you? That that was a thought that actually went through your fucking head. Yeah, man. You're yeah. fucking sick. You're sick. And I was so angry with myself and upset. And then I started crying. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the funeral went on. We, we had this long procession through the village. All her friends came out. It was very moving. But that's the one thing that I remembered. And then about a year later, I was doing a play where I had to have this little breakdown in the play. And I, when it came to that scene, I just pulled that one out of the bag. I just pulled it out of my memory bank, if you like. And, and that's what I used. And, and it got me there every night. It got me there every night to, to hit this scene. And, and, but, you know, you, you, it's very easy, I think, to imagine, oh, there's something wrong with me that I can do that. You know, there, there, there's something wrong with the way I'm thinking. What, what's, what's up with my wiring? But actually, that's, that's, that's the job. And maybe that's why actors are all a bit crazy anyway. Well, you're you're life, in good company. Though. It's life. Like the, the nature of it. How many times in your life are you going to experience that one thing? Right? How many times in your life are you going to be at your mother's funeral? Like you only have one mother, so there's going to be one funeral, right? Um, and then to have this experience. We, I think one of the things that I, it comes back to something that Brandon said earlier about uh, talking about mental health is that I, I feel like we used to talk about mental illness. And now, mm, yeah. I, at least I feel we're talking about mental health. But that's a and more th positive thing, isn't it? Yeah, and well, I, ho I, than I hope so. But, like, I think there is this idea that we're all meant to be, like, rocking it all the time. You mm. know, in the same way that, an, like, actors put on this idea that they should wear a cape and have a little, you know, Chekhov beard, even the women, right? <laughs> in order that they can be, like, real actors. I feel like in, in human terms, it's one of the things that I love about hanging with these boys is that we meet weekly and like when we meet, people will go, how are you? And any week it'll be somebody will go, oh, you know, like, I, like I'm a bit off my head this week. And everybody's like, oh, and nobody really cares about it. Mm. But I think that we assume that we're always meant to be in control of everything. And that even when we're faced with a situation that we've never seen before, we'll never see again, and we have no way of processing it, that we should somehow, by our nature, be able to go, oh, okay, I, I know exactly how to behave. I mean, really, it was just a whole load of signals saying, I, I have no idea how to behave here. I don't know how to feel about my mother dying. I don't know how to feel about this situation. I don't know how to feel. And then getting angry because you don't know how to feel. But I think you know? the fact that we've moved from mental illness to mental health is, a, is not only a, a, a positive step, yeah. But I think it's also a much, much better way of starting the conversation. Yeah. You know, we could talk about our, our personal mental health. We could say, you know, well, this is how I'm feeling right now, which is such a stride forward from the time when you couldn't do that because even that was somehow a, a marker of some of kind of illness, some kind of unwellness. Yeah. You know, the fact that we're all much, much more proactive – with uh, taking care of ourselves both physically and mentally, I think is, I think is a great thing. And I, and I think, you know, I remember it's as old as time, this whole idea of, you know, talking about something, let's talk about yeah. it. Let's talk, let's get it out in the open. Let's talk. You'll feel better if you talk about it. All that, 
these are really simple, basic, human, primal tools, if you like. Totally agree. I'm just going to say you something know. about what you, Lynn, said about mental illness. What I'm thinking is now, when you say mental health to people, what I, what in my experience recently, they, they immediately go to mental illness mm. as opposed to saying, uh, uh, in a rational uh, sort of a level of grey area thinking. But I, I think, you know, that the whole thing about this is we talk to people who've had experiences of all things. And it's great to hear you talking, by the way. It's really, really lovely. And lovely to meet you. I'm a big fan. And um, Well, thank you. Thank you. No, really. So, oh, Alfred, uh, you were in my uh, favourite film of the year, The Pr Promising Young Woman. All right. Oh, do you know what? He's in everybody's favourite film <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah, like, so, yeah, and yeah. do you know, like, so, and this is like what happens in my house, right? What happens in my house is or around phone calls or something like that or people hang out with, they go, oh, have you seen that film that's magic? And I go, no, I haven't seen it yet. And they'll go, your friend Fred's in it. I'm like, that guy never stops working. <laughs> I tell you what, though, you've got the stretch of the spectrum, though, Fred, because on Rotten Tomatoes... The stretch of the spectrum, that sounds like a sex shop. <laughs> no, no, not tonight, love. Pilates. That's not on a Pilates. Wednesday. On Rotten Tomatoes, you go from 100% to 2%, oh, all right? What got 2%? I can't remember what it was, but I thought, there you go, you own the lot, oh, love. Mate, mate, yeah. you see, that that's when I got the 2%, I must have been, you know, Mentally ill. No. And then when I got <laughs> so, how would that make you feel now, Fred, knowing that you have crossed <laughs> transcended boundaries of Rotten Tomatoes? From... It gives me a certain sense of pride. I've got to be honest. It gives me a certain <laughs> sense of pride. Because the, tr the truth is, the, the truth is, like William Goldman famously said in his wonderful book about adventures in the screen train, there's, there's a whole chapter where the whole chapter is just this, the phrase, nobody knows anything. Totally. And when it comes to our business, that's absolutely true. No, nobody knows anything. You don't know anything until you see it. And then you kind of go, yeah, that's great. Or, no, nah, it's not my, not, <laughs> not my cup of tea. You don't know. So everything's an adventure. And that's what keeps, I think that's what keeps any creative person going is yeah. the notion that, it, you know, and I'm sure, I'm sure you'd agree, Chesney, that, you know, you just, anything, you just keep going and you don't know. Yeah. You, put, you put whatever you've made, whatever you've been a part of, you put it out there. And then it's up to yeah, it's up to everyone else, to, you know. And you hope for the best. And some, I mean, I've had some, I've had some reviews that were so wonderful and so gratifying and so touching that my mother couldn't have written them; they were that good. I've had <laughs> reviews that I could have easily opened a vein because they were so bad, yeah. you know. And 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 it's roughly the same amount. I, I, when um, when I did my first kind of big leading role in a movie the film opened here. i was still living in england the film opened here and was a huge success and the press department that was looking at this is in the days before the internet obviously this was like you know back in the 80s they would send you packages of all the clippings from reviews you know everything was on paper or oh, you know God, I remember that. you remember that yeah and so you know, my agent phones me and says, oh, all the reviews have come in from the States. We're going to, you know, and of course, a review in the States was like really important for a British film, you know, if a British one, because the, the industry was that so small then and going through a real kind of bad time in the 80s. Um, so this big, big envelope arrives. It's like, like a big, big envelope. And I spilled it all out onto the kitchen table. I'm, I'm, and so I picked the first review I picked up was Siskel and Ebert. On their, sh on their show, talking about the movie. And the review said, 
If there's any justice in this world, Gary Oldman and Alfred Molina should be sharing honors for their performances. And I went, look at that. I'm going (laughs) to pin that one up. I'm going to frame it. The second one I picked out for the same performance, (laughs) the same movie, it said, in as much as his character was a failure in life, sadly, this performance matches that or something. So as I'm reading that, Jill is walking behind me and she goes, you better frame that one as well. (laughs) (laughs) Side by side. That's the thing. That is the thing about Jill, which is And she was right. She was right. Yeah, if you're going to take the good ones seriously, you've got to take the bad ones seriously. So you're better off just kind of going, yeah, forget it. Yeah, yeah. I remember I got a review in The Guardian, a bad review in The Guardian for a play that I hadn't written. I literally talked about how bad my play was and I was like... Is that before social media? So you couldn't even defend yeah, yourself, yeah. right? But it's that thing where you're like looking through something and then you see your name and you're like, yeah. oh, oh, oh. It's an interesting thing in terms of mental health, how your sense of how people perceive you mm. affects your health. Absolutely. Definitely. Are you, should you, should you care? That's, that's the question I always ask, you know, Oh, I feel bad because you know so and so said this, or such and such said that, or I did this and no one liked it, or you, you know whatever. You care less is. as you get older, though, about those things, don't you? I, I, well, I certainly care less. I couldn't give a fuck now. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and it's but when I was in my twenties and thirties and forties, it it meant everything, yeah. and and pe- the way I perceive people perceiving me put me through all kinds of sh- it put me through all kinds of crap. You know, and made me make bad choices. You know, some bad decisions. What you made me think about was, um, like, in terms of identity. And somebody told me this thing recently, and it's really helped me during the pandemic making up stories in my head thing, which is this phrase of other people's opinions of me are not my business. And yes. I was like, yeah. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you said that yeah, to me, Lynn. Just... That's helped me as well, really. Yeah. I've always been a people pleaser. You know that about me, Lynn. So, and I'm getting less and less that way. And it's really annoying me now that I uh, that that's the way I have been for the last twenty years or so. Can, can I ask you something about that? Because I'm curious. Did it change when? Did something? Did something big happen in your life that caused it? Like, did it change when you suddenly, like, I don't know, had kids or or or, or had a huge career change, or you made a, or did something happen to make you? Not or to make you kind of care less about what people thought. I think it's just the, the my kind of journey. To be honest with you, I mean, um, my my father uh, was diagnosed with with cancer and has been ill for a very long time, and that probably was the, the starting point of it. Actually, so now that you mention it, it, probably was. You kind of start to think about your own mortality and stuff like that, and maybe that was it. But I really think it's just kind of like working my own head out about what you know who I am and what you know what how did I get to where I am right now and I look back and and realize that I had been kind of you know people pleasing my whole life and and it kind of annoyed me that I'd done yeah. that because as you know as you said before you make you make poor choices sometimes because of it um, and it really got on my nerves and and so so I've consciously been kind of caring less um, you know, as as I've got older, and and I think it's really helping me. Lynn's kind of helped me see yeah. that. You know, she's, yeah, you know, she helps you see your truth, doesn't she? Uh. I think the moment when you realise something is not working for you, 
whatever it might be, particularly if it's something to do with your work, your career, I don't think it's the cowardly thing to walk away. I think no. that's the brave thing to do. Absolutely. Sometimes in life you have to change the structure. It's as simple as that, right? You have to change the structure and framework. That's right. And and, you, and as soon as you've done that, as soon as you change the rules, then you're you're back on a on a sort of level playing field. My Absolutely. best friend, who I've known since I was sixteen, he's an actor, not anymore, but you know we were in the National Youth Theatre together. We went to drama school together. He's my best closest friend. He quit acting because his career didn't go the way he wanted it to go. He wasn't working. Things didn't happen for him. So he decided, you know, which I've, got, I've got a wife, I've got young kids, I can't, you know, I, I can't justify this anymore. So I'm quitting. And he called me to tell me, and he said, do you think, do you think I'm a coward? And I said, no, mate, no, I think you're the bravest person I know. <laughs> because... I've got to tell you, if my career hadn't gone well, if, if I'd been in his position, I don't think I'd have the balls to do that. I think I'd still be, I think I'd still be hacking away at it, making a complete fool of myself, trying my hardest. I'd still be here at, the, at my age. I'd still be here in my late 60s kind of going, no, you know, I'll I, I keep at it. You know, mm. you know my, my, my chance will come one day. You know, don't worry. It's all about, you know, it's all about, you know, and I'd be giving you all that bullshit about, you know, ah, the preparation, you know, the... The anticipation, I'll, I'll be ready when it happens. All that, all that crap. And I said to her, I said, no, that's the to, to actually face up to something like that, because you're not just facing up to a kind of fact of life. You're facing up to something that is deeply, deeply all about you. Mm. It's a dream, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. I once was talking to a, a, an actor who was going through a bad patch, and you know, it was all to do with work. And I actually heard him say. If I'm not an actor, what am I? Mm. Oh, man. And I, I remember being completely ill-equipped to answer mm. the question. I, mm. you know, there was yeah. nothing I – all I could do was kind of like – I just put my arm around him. I kind of went, hey, you know, don't, it's, you know, it's going to be all right. I mean, something, something, some platitude. But the thing is, it made me ask the question – it made me ask the question about myself. Yeah. You know, if, I'm, if I wasn't an actor, what would I be? Mm. What am I if I'm not this? And, and it's a – powerful thing to kind of wrestle with and i think now that the conversation has started now that you know we we can we can raise these questions in a safe much safer environment i think mm. it's a question we should all be asking ourselves when things aren't going well and it's not just work it's also relationships i mean there's a thing in aa i think that i'm, I'm quoting misquoting maybe that says if you don't grow you go mm. Something like yeah. that, you know. The, the the idea being, if if things, you know, if this situation isn't working for you, you you have to leave it. You can't, you know, you can't stay in there. Mm. And I think that's a that's a powerful thing to have to be able to do that and to own that, just as a human being, is a really powerful thing. And I think it really it's 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 all part of your mental health. I would say. It's funny your story about your best friend. There, it really. Um, it hit a nerve with me because my best friend did exactly the same thing. I was in a film with with him. He was always an actor. I was in a film with him back in the early 90s and he played my best friend and we've been friends ever since. Maka, um, Lynn knows him. And uh, he did exactly what your friend did. He, you know, he started, roles started drying up. He's, he's like, I can't find any any roles and, and I don't. I think I'm just going to quit. And, and uh, I was like, well, then if it's not right for you, mate, then do it. And he did that and, and he went off and he started a whole new career as a journalist, was a very successful journalist. And then 
then uh, kind of got to the point where that wasn't working out and he was like, nah, fuck this, I'm going to go become a teacher. And he's now teaching uh, kids in a... Um, in a school, uh, in, in the inner city school that, uh, you know, helps with people, kids that have been excluded from normal school. But my point was that, like, you know, he very, very brave. Just like, right, just yeah. drop everything, yeah. pff, next career, and then drop everything again, and next career. And, you know, I'm so proud of him for that. So, Fred, uh, we have this little section um, where we ask our wonderful guests, that's you, um, to choose their uh, happy song or sad song. Um, and you, you, chose, uh, you chose a particularly beautiful song. Um, and and I, I get to recreate it for you. So I've got this little version of, of the song that you chose uh, that I recorded here in the studio just for you, my friend. Well, what's the song? Oh, thank you. Let, let our listeners know what the well, song is. Well, I chose was. a song called The Ballad of the Sad Young Men. And it's, it's, a, it's a standard um, written by, I think it was Thomas Wolfe and Fran Landsman, um, and it's it's been a it's been a very popular song with jazz musicians. Yeah. I asked a jazz musician why, and he said, "Oh, it's the changes, man." Changes. Ches knows that, don't you, Ches? I do. I, I know the bastard, but I'm not quite sure what what the changes are. Ches appreciates it. He knows. I do. I do. God Almighty. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's hear it, shall we? And you can hear the magic that Chesney created. So here it is, just for you, Fred. Sing a song of sad young men Glasses full of rain All the news is bad again Kiss your dreams goodbye All the sad young men Sitting in the bars Knowing the old lights You're missing all All the sad young men Drifting through the town Drinking up the night Trying not to drown Sad young man singing in the cold, trying to forget that they're growing old. Sad young men choking on their youth, trying to be brave, 
Chesney Hawks performing the ballad of the sad young men. Just for you, Fred. Oh, God. Oh, Chesney Hawks. Oh, bless you oh. both. That was wonderful. Oh, man. That's beautiful, Chesney. Oh. <laughs> I love that song. I love that song. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. It's all about That's the changes, beautiful. mate. It's all about the changes. It's all about the changes. <laughs> so what exactly are the changes? It's just, well, it's that classic jazz chord thing. So it, it goes from key to key and it just goes yeah. places you don't expect. That's all. And so as a, for a, a songwriter, a musician, it's like it's not just it's not your classic, uh, you know, chord progressions. As, you know, it, it kind of goes in interesting places, which is, yeah. you know, really it's lovely, difficult to work out, but really lovely. So talented, Ches, I'll tell you, man. Yeah. That was so beautiful, Chesney. Thank you so see, much. See, this is the thing, again, I bring it back to identity. Like, if you talk to people in Britain about the identity of what is Chesney Hawks, who is Chesney Hawks, they would give you a very specific thing, yes. probably. Mm. And then you're yeah. like... Oh, my God. <laughs> Listen to that guy. Because, like, when did we agree to do that? And then Ches gets sent the song, and then he has to, like, sort it. And also, I'm sitting here going like that. He even plays the Joanna and that. That was you, right? That yeah. wasn't, like, some kind of... It's like, God, he's singing, he's playing the piano. Drinking coffee. Drinking coffee. coffee. <laughs> right, team, I need to wrap this up. Now, Fred, so we've just decided on this show, I think you've been the um, catalyst for it, that we're no longer going to introduce our guests on this show because it was just such a wonderful intro. Someone like you coming in, we just started chatting, so there's no big intro. So we're just going to give you an average outro. We're going to fizzle out, <laughs> <laughs> Fred Molina, thank you so much uh, for joining us, Fred. We really thank you, Fred. We love you, Fred Molina. Come out for quiche. Can I come? Can we quiche in a chat? Yeah, you can come. So, do you see? Do you see, people, why I love Fred Molina? You see, right? How could you not love that man? He's just. He's magnificent. He's a magnificent man. I also love that he's so cousin. Yeah. Well, yes. He the casual came. I think was the first thing he said, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm not quite sure that that will make the final yeah. edit, but yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. Well, now it has to because I've mentioned it. <laughs> what, I, what I love about Fred is that because um, I've known him for a while now, and and you know, as he's he's a uh, he's uh, had many of a many of my quiche in his in his life. Yeah. Uh, and that's we have not that in good. common, him and I. Yeah, it's so true. Actually, when are you cooking for me? You're shy. I know. Like you do master chef Series and all three. that, and then you come Series round to three. the house, and then you're like, oh no, is there anything in the pot? <laughs> no, what I love about Fred as well is that I mean, he is just a master at what he does. He's amazing. Oh yeah. But like when you watch people come up to him, they're sort of afraid of him because he is so kind of brilliant. And then within seconds, yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, no, it's Fred. He's just a big cuddly teddy bear, isn't he? <laughs> he is. He is. Yeah, he's, he is, he's yeah. one of my favourites, actually, as an actor. I'm a, and I, I was excited to meet him when I met him at your house. So I, I was and ex very excited to have him on the show. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. He is brilliant. I thought that explanation, when, when he talked about the Alzheimer's and the dementia in, yeah. in Jill, and that observation about, what was it? It's like watching a little bit of a beautiful 
painting yeah. flake off every day. Oh, God, that was... Um, Heartbreaking. Wasn't it? You know, the thing with them as well is that it, it was like a quite a magnificent love story. Um, mm. Right. And uh, I do love when it, the way he was talking about... Uh, about the process of actors, <laughs> when actors talk about the process. <laughs> it really made me giggle. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, it's time to wrap things up, I'm afraid. I hope you listeners have enjoyed the show as much as we have. That was really fun. Loved having Fred yeah. on. Well, if you did enjoy the show, tell a friend about us. And if you didn't enjoy the show, then uh, make somebody you hate listen to us. That's a good way of <laughs> passively telling them that they're an idiot. Can I stop you there? My dad used to do this thing where um, he, every time they do a gig with the tremolos, at yeah. the end of the show, he'd always say, if you enjoyed the show, we're the tremolos. If you didn't, we're the searchers. <laughs> <laughs> are you saying my jokes are old? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Anyway, give us a wee share on the socials if you fancy. We'd really appreciate it. We'd really Absolutely. Appreciate it. And join us next week for week three of our Edinburgh Fringe specials in conjunction with At the Gilded the Balloon. Gilded Balloon. The Gilded Balloon. When we will be joined by comedian Jack Doherty. Legendary. Oh. Legendary Legendary. Comedian. So until then, I've been Neil Harrington. He's been Chesney Hawks. She has been Lynn Ferguson. And you know what? We are all a bit mental. Yes, bye, we are. everybody. We are. Bye, Thank you very much, everyone. Bye-bye. You've been listening to We Are All A Bit Mental with Chesney Hawks, Lynn Ferguson, Brandon Block and Neil Harrington. Produced and edited for Source Productions by Neil Harrington, with plenty of help from Lynn, Ches, and Brandon.